Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Genesis chapter 2, we'll be looking there in just a moment. When my youngest son was about seven years old, he was with me in the checkout line in Walmart, and as we waited, he handed me a package of Skittles, went over there to the candy aisle, grabbed it, brought it back to me, and I, I handed it back to him. I said, son, you don't need that candy. Decided to make that moment a brief, teachable moment because it was about 4.30 in the afternoon. We'd be going home, and Mom would have dinner on the table, and every good dad knows not to give the kids candy before dinner time. And I looked at my son as I handed that back to him, and I said to him, Now, son, this is not a want. Uh, this is a want. This is not a need. And my son looked right in my face without missing a beat as he, as he pushed it back towards me, and he said, But, Dad, I need it to satisfy my want. You don't understand. The truth is, God is not primarily concerned about meeting your wants, but He is concerned about meeting your needs. It's a promise of Scripture, Philippians 4, verse 19, the most familiar verse to many of us, but God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We love the promise that He will meet our needs, but we often forget that there's a process. There's a process as to how God meets our needs. Recently, I was studying Scripture, and I began to look into the, the book of Genesis chapter 2. I began to notice how God met the first need of the first man. And that need was in the innocence of the garden. It was not a need as a result of sin. It was within the innocence of the garden that Adam had a singular problem, a singular need, and God described it as being alone. In fact, the Bible says that, that God recognized that need when He stated in Genesis 2 and verse number 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that my God, the God that I serve, is not some uncaring, distant deity who identifies the problem but doesn't offer a solution. Instead, God identified the problem and He began a process to, to meet the need for companionship in Adam's life. The truth is we all have needs. In Adam's case, it was the need of companionship, but for some of you here today, it may be a physical need. For others, it may be an emotional need. For some, it's a spiritual need. For others, perhaps a financial need. So for the next few moments, I want to talk about how God meets our needs based on the example of God's work in Adam's life in the very beginning. Four principles tonight. I promise to preach quick if you'll listen quick. Can I have an amen right there? Okay, I'll preach longer. That wasn't very strong. No, that was good. Somebody woke up in the back. Here's the first principle, the omniscience principle. God knew Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. Genesis 2 verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Adam had what we would call an unrealized need. He didn't realize he needed a help meet, but God did. Now, those of you that are in business or in marketing, you understand the term latent need. 
The formal definition of a latent need is a need that cannot be satisfied due to the lack of information or availability of a product or service. In simple plain English, a, a latent need is a problem that a user or consumer doesn't realize they have. For example, the telephone is an example of a latent need. Until Alexander Graham Bell in 1876 invented the telephone, communication was limited to telegraph, uh, Pony Express, carrier pigeon, whatever you wanted to use. Uh, communication was limited in a significant way. No one knew any better until 1876 when the telephone was invented. Fast forward 150 years to the day in which we live. Every single one of us sitting in this room today have a phone probably with us on our person. We are constantly using this. I can use this phone to maintain my schedule. I can use this phone to be able to track my children on Life 360 and know wherever they are at any given moment. I'm able to use this phone to have meetings back and forth in Pensacola even though I'm away. I use this thing more to do everything else other than talk on the telephone. But the truth is, we would not have this, we would not appreciate the technology that we have now had Alexander Graham Bell in 1876 invented the telephone. Now here's a question for you. How in the world did they get along up until 1875? They didn't know. They didn't understand the need that they had because they had never experienced the technology that, that made it easier for them to live. Now, when you look here in, in, in the Word of God, you begin to notice that, that Adam had no idea because he had never experienced having a companion. And a latent need is a problem that a user or consumer doesn't realize. Adam, being the first human with a latent need, didn't even realize he needed Eve because there was no Eve. Jesus addressed this principle in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 8, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of, notice this, before you even ask Him. God is so sovereign. God is so all-knowing. God is so loving that before you even shed a tear in asking God for that need, before you even bow your head, before you even speak the words, before you even realize you have that need, God knows you have that need. The omniscience principle, God knew Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. Here's a second principle, the preparation principle. God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. Look, if you would, please, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names unto all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. Now, I want you to point out something to you. If you would, please circle in your Bible the word brought, if you would, please. It's in verse number 19. The Bible says that God brought all of the animals to Adam. God formed a procession, and He said, now, Adam, look at this animal. What do you think it should be called? Now, here's a question for you. This is not hard theology, but why do you think God didn't name the animals Himself? God's fully capable of naming those animals. The Bible says in Psalm 147, verse number 4, that He telleth the number of the stars, and He calleth them all by name. 
Every star in the darkened universe that shines like a diamond against the velvet of the sky, every star God knows by name. It was not for lack of ability on God's part. It was for the purpose that God was working in Adam's life. And he said, I'm going to teach you something, Adam, and you don't even realize I'm teaching it to you. I'm going to bring these animals to you. And I want you to name each of these animals. Adam, I want to show you something that you don't even recognize at this point, that there are two genders of every animal in creation, male and female. Notice what happens here in Genesis 2, verse number 20. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, read the Hebrew, it's in the plural, and to all the fowl of the air, fowls in the plural, every beast of the field, beast is in the plural. And here is the consequence of that preparation. And Adam recognized there was not found a helpmeet for him. It was in that moment that Adam began to look around and he said, you know, there's Mr. Cat and there's Mrs. Cat. There's Mr. Dog and there's Mrs. Dog. There's Mr. Hippopotamus. No woman wants to be called a hippopotamus. Nobody ever laughs at that joke. I don't know why. He began to recognize that there are male and female. Every single one always has, I know why, every man is afraid to laugh at that joke. That's the reason why. He began to realize every single animal had a companion, but he did not. Now, here's how God cultivated that need. Here's how God prepared that, that need to be realized in his life. It is a four-letter word that is often uh, unappreciated in our world today. It's the four-letter word, W-O-R-K. Study the theology of work. Work was instituted before the fall. There are some who would say, well, because of the fall, we have to work for everything that we have. No, that's not what happened. God ordained work before the fall. Now, the work that we do is a whole lot harder because of the fact of the fall, but the Bible says that God was, uh, had given a, uh, an assignment to Adam, verse number 15, Genesis 2, verse number 15, he is to dress and keep the garden. The word dress means to work and to labor. The word keep means to watch over. He gave him an assignment an assignment of the animals, to name them, to keep them, to, to, to do all those things. And in the process, he was preparing his heart to meet that need. Do you realize the things that you're working through right now, that God is using that to prepare you for the next step? Some of you are dreading going to work tomorrow because you have to work with someone that is just an, an absolute jerk. And you dread having to be with them. And let me tell you that they probably are exactly as described. But the truth is that God is allowing you in those moments, training you to move you to the next step. And, and some of you are working through some emotions right now, things that you, you had thought were put in the past, but they keep coming back. And you're, you're trying to deal with those, work those through in your life. And as you work through those, God's preparing you for the next step. Maybe you're here tonight and there's a relationship that's broken. And you've done everything that you can to live peaceably with all men as best you can. And you're working through that relationship. You're trying to do everything that you can to, to make that relationship work. Listen, it is not in vain. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. What He's doing is this. He's allowing that moment to prepare you. As you work through those things that He's brought into your life to prepare you for that next level. 
I look back on my life and I can see how God's prepared me. I started at age 15 in radio. As a young man, I was a DJ at a a small AM radio station in East Tennessee. I've always loved radio. I then left from uh, from radio and went to college to be a Bible major. I intended to go to to HCJB Radio in Quito, Ecuador, Transworld Radio, to serve in missions. God had a different plan, though. He, he had a plan for me to, 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 to change my minor from broadcasting to biblical languages to prepare me to do something I am not able to do in and of myself. I am a number one introvert. I am more happy to sit in a, a room by myself with a microphone in front of me as opposed to do what I'm doing right now. But God, in that moment, made me step out of who I am and place me in a place that I would ultimately become a pastor. And in my first position of ministry, I worked at Anchorage Baptist Temple in Anchorage, Alaska. Dr. Jerry Prevo was from my home church in East Tennessee. And would you know that in the first church that I worked, he had a radio station and a television station, and the morning services were aired on the ABC affiliate in Anchorage, Alaska, and I was integrally involved with that. I moved to West Virginia and became a pastor there, and through that the Lord allowed us to to develop a a radio ministry, a radio network of sorts along the northern side of of West Virginia, reaching out to all of those folks, the Mountaineers and the Buckeyes on the Ohio side, and then we we developed our own television station, and then we began broadcasting our services on on the CBS and the Fox affiliate there in town. Here is what I'm saying, nothing is wasted in God's economy, and the things that you think that you're doing mean nothing or a waste of your time, God will use that later in your life. He's preparing you for the next step. How does God meet our needs? Number one, the omniscience principle. God knew Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. The preparation principle. God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. Here's a third principle, the rest principle. For Adam to have his need met, he had to rest in God's power. You in Genesis chapter 2, look at verse number 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Now, I want you to look at this in verse number 21. Two times we are told that there was a, he he had a deep sleep, and and he slept. You say, Dr. Lange, do you believe that is a literal interpretation, that he slept, that he was in a deep sleep? When you read the language, it gives the idea of anesthesia. Uh, some of you understand that. When you have surgery, you want someone to give you anesthesia. There are different phases. There's the first phase, the second phase, and the third stage. Some of you look like you're in the third stage of anesthesia right now. That's the deep sleep that you would have as God, uh, as a surgeon performs his surgery. And God is doing a divine surgery, and literally, he was placed in a deep sleep, and he slept. And here's the bottom line. Adam could not find the solution to his need until he rested in the Lord to provide it. And the same is true for us. The thing that you think you need, you cannot concoct it, manipulate it, make it happen in and of yourself. Only God can. And it requires that you rest in Him. I remember the the Bible verse... Matthew chapter 11, you, you know it. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say it with me. Understand the context that Jesus is speaking to those, those who have been 
been weighed down and worn out by all the rigorous rules of the rabbis and the masters of their day. Everything that they said to have a relationship with God, you've got to work, you've got to, you've got to serve, you've got to, you've got to do all of these things. And Jesus brings a radical message, and He says, all of you that have been weighed down, you're heavy laden. All of you that are worn out with all the regulations and the rules and the rituals of, of that relationship with God that you're promised. You come to me, and I won't make you work, and I won't make you serve. I'll give you rest. Then he says in the very next verse, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Verse 28 said that when you come to him weighed down and worn out, he'll give you rest. But when you place his yoke upon him, upon you, and you, and you learn of him, the Bible says that you find rest. It's a, discov- a discovery that you can only find. Can I tell you something? That when you look at Matthew 11, verse number 28, what you're seeing is the invitation of salvation. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. By the way, you cannot earn your way into heaven. Can I have an amen right there? If you believe that there's, a, that there's good works that you can do to be saved, your good works will never be sufficient. Christ comes so that you can rest in His work and what He has completed for you. In verse 28, He gives the invitation of salvation. But then in verse number 29, he gives the invitation of surrender. Take, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. And when you surrender, I don't have to give you rest. You'll find it. There's some of you who are here tonight, you're holding on to things so tightly. I'm going to make this relationship work. I'm going to move up the ladder. I'm going to succeed in my career. I'm going to make that child who's wandered away from God come back. You can't do any of those things. Only God can. And place His yoke upon you and surrender your will and say, God, I release what I'm holding. I'm resting in you. You do the work that you want to do in this moment. As difficult as it may be, as hard as it may be as you're preparing me in this process, you do your work as I rest in you. And I promise you, you'll learn this truth. You can do more in your ease than you ever could in your effort when you come to Him and you trust in Him. He is the Lord who gives rest. Not only the omniscience principle, God knew Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. The preparation principle, God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. The rest principle, for Adam to have his need met, he had to rest in God's power. Here's the fourth and the final principle, the extraction principle. God took something away from Adam to give him what he needed. Look at verse number 21 again. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Notice this. And he took. What did he take? He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had, notice this, the Lord God had taken from man. He made a woman, and he brought, same word that he used when he brought the animals before Adam to be named, and he brought her unto the man. God, in a moment of divine surgery, 
placed Adam in a deep sleep, and he, and he reached into his very being, and he took a rib from Adam's body, and God extracted part of his skeletal frame. And for some of you here tonight, it seems as if God has you laid out on the table, and your heart is open before Him, and it's as if He's a heartless God just ripping the very soul from who you are. I dare say if we were to talk to Adam before that divine surgery, and if he knew what God was going to do, Adam, do you, do you need that rib? Adam would say, absolutely, I need that rib. That rib's part of my skeletal frame. I'm from East Tennessee. That rib holds my guts in. Can I have an amen? Some of us have bigger guts than others, but that's okay. That rib is important because it's part of, of, of who I am. But wait, God said, you don't understand your need, and you don't know the value of the thing that, that you think is so important. And God took the lesser to meet the greater need, help me. I imagine after Adam awakened from his divine surgery, and he saw Eve, he said, whoa, man, that's why we call her woman. And if we were to ask Adam, Adam, would you rather have that rib, or would you rather have Eve? There's no mistake he would say, I would rather have Eve. Looking back, I can see how God has taken things from me that I thought were so important. But I recognize what He took from me was a divine extraction to prepare me, to give me what I need in the future, and sometimes even in that moment. Several years ago, I read an article in Creation Magazine. It was by Dr. Carl Weiland. Dr. Weiland is a family practice physician, and he wrote a piece a number of years ago after he was in a head-on collision with a tractor-trailer. He survived the accident, but he had a number of surgeries to follow up. So, I want to read to you his testimony in Creation Magazine. Forgive the extended reading, but it's worth hearing, I promise. Dr. Weiland wrote, a head-on impact with a fully laden fuel tanker at highway speeds is an experience I would hope for none to share. The surprise was to have survived it, and God clearly had other plans for me. During the five and a half months in the hospital and for years afterward, I had a series of operations to reconstruct various parts of me, particularly the bones of my face. These operations required using my bone for grafting. I noticed that the plastic surgeon would keep going back to the right side of my rib cage through that same horizontal scar, actually to get more bone for the procedures. One day I asked him why he hadn't run out of bone. He looked at me blankly. After all, I'm a family physician. And he explained that he and his team took the whole rib out each time. The doctor said, we leave the periosteum intact so that the rib usually just grows right back again. Despite having been trained and practiced as a family doctor, I was intrigued. I have never heard this before. You see, the periosteum, uh, the literal meaning of the word is around the bone. The periosteum is the membrane that covers every bone. And the periosteum contains cells that can manufacture new bone. Particularly in young people, rib periosteum has a remarkable ability to regenerate bone, perhaps more so than any other. 
When the surgeon initially told me this, my immediate thought was, wow, that's really neat. Adam didn't have to walk around with a defect. Surprisingly, some Christians have grown up believing that men have one less rib than women, but that, of course, is not true. However, this information about rib regrowth adds a new and fascinating dimension. The God who designed the rib, along with the periosteum, would be the one who would be able to perform the divine surgery to remove the rib to give Adam Eve and ultimately give back to him what he took away. Isn't it amazing that God who designed the human anatomy is the same God who knows our need and he can meet them by taking the lesser and replacing that lesser with the greater and then even give them back to us what we thought we lost. When I was growing up, there was a song that was sung quite a bit in East Tennessee during those youth revivals that we would go through. We used to have seven-day uh, youth revivals. All the churches would come together for that. And we would, so that we would either sing it as a solo or as a group. There was a song that said, take my houses, take my lands, change my dreams, change my plans. I'm placing my whole life in your hands. And if you call me today to a place far away, Lord, I'll go and your will obey. The chorus says, I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain. That's what I'm willing to do. For whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'm willing to do. Church, I ask you today, are you willing to allow God to place you on his surgery table? And you say, Lord, I've come to you and I've been given rest. But now I surrender to you to discover rest. And you take from me to meet the needs that I don't even recognize I have. Are you willing to do that? Job did. Job was a righteous man. He loved his family. He was a man of faith, a great man of finances, and a great man of fame. And in a moment, his life changed. His finances vanished away. His fame was diminished because of the lack of finances, and his family was ultimately destroyed. Here was a man whose asset list had 7,000 sheep. Here's a man whose asset list had 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. In an instant, they were gone. Ten children, in an instant, they were gone. And Job sits in the ash heap of his life, and he... And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Could you say that tonight? You read the book of Job and all the way through the conversation with his so-called friends that were supposed to encourage but actually discourage. The Bible says that, that it wasn't until Job 42 verse number 12 that the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And the reason that God did that was simply because he began to pray for those friends that were such a discouragement to him. And when you begin to realize what God did in blessing his latter end more than his beginning, the Bible says that he, he started with 7,000 sheep and he lost them, but in the end he had 14,000 sheep. 
He started with 3,000 camels, and he lost them, but now he has 6,000 camels. He started with 500 yoke of oxen, and he lost them. Now he has 1,000. He started with 500 donkeys, and now he has 1,000 donkeys. The Bible says that the Lord gave him 10 more children. Why didn't he give 20 children? If he doubled all the animals, why didn't he double his children? Because Mrs. Job couldn't have handled it. That's the reason why. No, because those 10 children are already in heaven. He didn't lose those children. They were with the Lord. Can I have an amen right there? And Job in that moment, the Bible says, was blessed in his latter end more than his beginning. And he died, the Bible says in the very last book of Job, of a full old age. That word full means satisfied. Satisfied. The only way you can be satisfied is by trusting God that He meets your needs. And part of that process is the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.